how consistent are you at being competent and confident? How consistent are you at delivering the services your buyers and sellers hire you to do? How consistent are you at knowing the market? How consistent are you in negotiating skills? How consistent are you at follow-up? People start to trust those people when they have those areas of their business lined up. It's about competence, confidence, and consistency. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 206 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. This is going to be a slightly different version of the podcast. We're actually going to be recording this live at the Florida Realtors Convention. Sean Carpenter of Coldwell Banker up in Columbus, Ohio, and I were asked to do a presentation on personal relationships in an impersonal world. So we decided to do this podcast style. I've never done it before in front of a live audience. And we just wanted to give you this heads up here up front. What you're about to hear sounds a little bit different. Uh, But thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. And uh, here we go. I want you to all give a nice warm welcome to Sean Carpenter. Thank you, Bill. Good, good to be here. So Bill, Bill usually asks people, um, was real estate in the long-term plans? And as you talked about, most, very few people, I, I would guess 20% maybe, have been planning real estate. Like they went to college for real estate, probably 10% even. Um, I'll go Five, lower. I think yeah. six out of 200. Six out of 200. Who, so <laughs> in this room, how many of you guys actually knew when you were a little kid that you were going to be in real estate? So no hands went up. Okay. Yeah. So, so was real estate in the long-term plans for me? No, it, it, it wasn't. Let me give you a quick little background on, on where I came from. I, I'm from Billings, Montana, but I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. My father taught at Ohio State University. When it came time for me to go to college, I wanted a school like Ohio State, but in the South. And I fell in love with Gainesville. I went to school in Gainesville, and I was there. And I uh, bartended and, and worked my way through college. I was either behind the bar or in front of the bar most of, the, most of my time there. Um, after college, I was a golf pro. Uh, down here in Florida, I worked at a course called Worldwoods over in Brooksville, Florida. How many of you guys from Florida know where Brooksville, Florida is? Oh, above Tampa, um, and it's a small little area. I tell people it's newlyweds and nearly deads. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I were the newlyweds, uh, and it was a great place to work. But then I moved up to uh, Cleveland, where I got a job in the golf business. Then I moved back to Columbus. I moved back to Columbus, and I was in the beer business. I worked for the Miller & Coors distributor, selling beer all over the city of Columbus, but eventually landed at the Ohio State University campus. And that was my territory. Now, if you're ever going to sell beer, pick a spot where there's 45,000 students, and that's a really good spot to sell beer. But I was working late nights and up early in the mornings, and so I thought to myself, what would be a career that would allow me to drink beer and play golf? So I got into real estate, um, and I started working with Cole Banker. I was an agent for four years. I then became a branch manager, loved the coaching and training part of the job, but hated the managing part of the job. So our company named me the director of training. I worked as the director of training in Columbus and Cincinnati. And in 07, I started speaking at conferences. And in 2016, I decided to jump back into sales and do that. So that that is not Photoshop. That is actually me. Uh, And so if you want to look at what real estate does to you, this is what it does to you. Um, So super excited, Bill, uh, to be here. Um, And I know the next question you usually ask is Yeah, so so Sean, that gets us kind of to the beginning. And you say you're now a realtor in the late 1990s, somewhere in that range. 98. How do you get to where you're at today? There's There's a path through the business. Yeah, so really, if you think about... Did I want to, you know, I watched my father as a professor of landscape architecture at Ohio State, but really I, I go back to where, where I am today 
I tell this story that um, it probably started with my, my pop, my dad's dad. And my father and his family grew up in Northeast Florida in, in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Um, my father went to Fletcher High School, if anyone knows where that is. Uh, my pop lived on, uh, on the beach at uh, just north of the Ponte Vedra Country Club. And he was a traveling shoe salesman for Clarks of England and Florsheim. And I always appreciated what my pop did, but I never understood what he did. And he was one of the best salespeople you've ever seen. I got a chance when I was a little kid to, to travel with him for a week or so, and he made me wear a little suit and tie, and I would pull his samples into the stores. And he knew every single employee. He knew every single employee's spouse's name. He knew every single employee's kids' names. He knew their, their favorite places. We would eat at diners along the way around the state of Florida, and he knew every single server. And he was so good, and I didn't realize that until many, many years after Pop died. My father was a teacher. He taught at Cornell, and he taught at Ohio State for 29 years up until the day he died, and he taught landscape architecture. And he was the president of the American Society of Landscape Architects, and I never really realized the impact my father had on people until I stood up to speak at his funeral. And when you're in the front row of a funeral, and then you stand up at the lectern to speak, and you look out, and the room is full, and there's students from years and years of my dad's teachings around the room. And I never, ever wanted to do what my dad did. And now what do I do? I teach people how to be salespeople. I honor my pop and my, and my dad every single day with what I do. Because I realize the recipe for success is you have to have that, that Willie Loman desire to be a salesperson like my pop had. You have to be passionate when you teach. You have to want to be that person who's going to inspire the students to sit in the room or listen to the podcast or do whatever they do to be successful. And then leadership is a big piece of what we do. Every single one of you guys are in leadership. You're leading your customers, your clients, your communities to make good decisions. You're helping your, your community to do things. If you're, an, if you're a parent, you're a leader. And so I love that I get to honor my pop and my dad in some small way now that they're both gone by being a salesperson, by being a teacher, and by being a leader. And so obviously, you know, when I get to stand up at, this is uh, at the David Copperfield Theater in Las Vegas where I spoke at, at our Cole Banker Conference. You know, it, 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 every time I'm on the stage, I just kind of think that's so cool that I get to, to do that. And so in some small way, my, my dad and my pop are, are, are looking down on me. Um, and it's about these three things. Because I learned early in my career that it's not about the houses, the relationship business. It's about the people that live in the houses that make us do what we do. And so my philosophy has been the same as an agent, as a manager, as a director of training, and now as a speaker, blogger, and consultant. I think real estate's about three things. It's about building relationships, it's about solving problems, and having fun. Think about those three things. If every single day we're building relationships with somebody, if every single day we're solving people's problems, and if every day we're having fun, that's a pretty good day. The contracts and the closings and the listings will take care of themselves. But when I lay my head on the pillow every night, I sort of ask myself as I fall asleep, did I build relationships today? Did I solve problems today? And did I have fun today? And if I can answer yes to those three things, I figure everything else will take care of itself. So Bill, that's, you've known it. Ever since you know me, all my, all my blogs pretty much end with that. My presentations start with that. I, I have uh, friends of mine who are not in the real estate business who know that is your, your mantra. They know that. So you're, you're very consistent with that message. Let's, let's break these, th these three things down. I think it's very important. And let's start with, I think, the most important thing in this room, and that's going to be building relationships. Yeah. So obviously, this is what we all do, right? This is Everyone raised your hands in the beginning saying it's, it's a relationship-based business. Your business and your success is designed around relationships. So let's talk about that, but let's actually look at it from above, because I think too many agents in our industry, they just put a big pile of their relationships in the same place. And we need to start looking at it differently. And I think there's four levels to a successful real estate business. And so let's go from macro to micro. And I want you guys to think about when you leave here, 
how you might want to look at your business differently to build better relationships so you can help people solve more problems and you can have more fun doing it. So level one, if we go all the way to the top, is your database. Your database. And it's very simply defined as anyone I have contact information for. So think about your database right now. How many people do you have contact information for? Right? And when you think about a database, I don't care how big it is. It doesn't really matter how big it is. People tell me, I have 7,455 names in my database. I'll just go grab the phone book and say, I have 34,000 in mine, because all those are our contacts. There's really not much relationship. So top level, database. Let's go a level deeper. Level two is your sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence. Very simply defined as I know them and they know me. Now everyone that's in your sphere of influence is part of your database. But not everyone in your database is part of your sphere of influence. Does that make sense? Because your database was what? Anyone you have contact information for. So Cole might have his homeowners association roster. Rick might have all the names of all the kids that play in his son's baseball league. He might have a, a, a gym membership roster or a church membership roster. But you could be at the grocery store tonight. Rick could be in line to get milk on the way home. And in front of him is someone that lives in his homeowners association three blocks over that he's never met. And behind him is someone from his gym that he's never met. They're total strangers. Your sphere of influence, though, are people that you know them and they know you. Think about that number that you said for your database. How many are in your sphere of influence? Because that's the one that's going to start building your business. Now let's go that level deeper. When we think about a ripple effect, a ripple effect says this, guys. If I know 100 people and they know 100 people, I'm only one contact away then from 10,000 people. And if they know 100 people, I'm two contacts away from 100,000 people. But here's my question to you, and Bill, I'll ask you because you're, you're the host. Would you rather know a lot about five people or nothing about 500? Uh, I'll go with a lot about five. That's the right answer. Absolutely. But so many people when they get in our business, they say, I already know these five people. I need to meet more people if I'm going to grow my business. So they go right past the relationships they already have to meet strangers. And I come back here to Maddie and I say, would you like to buy or sell a house? And, you, and she says, who are you? I say, oh, I'm friends with the person up here at the front. And he, she's not in that line. Back here, it's a mess. But if I get to know the five people or these three people really well, then every once in a while, Jimmy turns around to his hundred and says, Every line behind me, look at me. If anyone back there needs real estate help, come to the front of the line because my friend Sean Carpenter will take awesome care of you. And by the way, thanks for being part of my tribe. See, so I get to know these people in the front really, really well and let the ripple effect really grow my business. Know the front of the line better and they'll introduce you to the people behind them. So the ripple effect, how many should be in your sphere of influence? Well, there's about 328 million people in the United States. There's just a little over 1.3 million members of the National Association of Realtors. So that works out to about one realtor for every 250 people. So there's a number I would suggest that we all aim to have at least 250 people in our sphere of influence. But what are the odds that those 250 people don't know another realtor? Probably pretty low, right? So we have to make sure that the relationships are better. We have to make sure that when they think about real estate, they think about you. When they think about you, they think about real estate. Level three is your clients. Your clients, they've done business with you in the past. Now by definition, you know them and they know you if they've done business with you in the past. Doesn't mean you have to be good friends with them. Just because you're in their sphere of influence doesn't mean that you are friends. 
But notice I didn't say the word past clients. We call them our clients, whether they've worked with us in the past or not, because they're still our clients. The same way if I asked Ranit, right? If I went to her dentist and said, who's Ranit? The dentist would say, she's one of my patients, not one of my past patients. She's one of my patients. So we have our clients. How many clients do you have? How many clients have you served? How many families have you served? How many of you guys remember when McDonald's used to have a sign, a number on the sign, how many hamburgers they served? Right? It's 34 million hamburgers served, 39 million hamburgers served. What does it say now? Billions and billions served. How many families have you served in your career? If you run your business like a business, you'll think about how many families you've served. And that's your clients. And then obviously that last level down, the most important level, Bill, is what I call the bullseye. Level four is the bullseye. Look at the definition of bullseye. These people want my success almost as much as I want it myself. These people want my success almost as much as I want it myself. It's your spouse or partner. It could be your kids or your parents. The best man or matron of honor from your wedding. It could be that threesome of golf you play golf with every weekend. It's your buddy from, from your last career. Here's what a, a bullseye person does. And when I, when I act this out, you're going to think of someone in your life. You're having lunch at Panera or somewhere. I'm having lunch with, with Josh and Michelle. And out of the corner of my ear, I hear three tables over, someone talking about real estate. A bullseye person does this. Excuse me. Were you guys just talking about real estate? Hey, you should call my friend Sean Carpenter. He's the best. How many of you guys know people like that that would tell other people about you? A bullseye does this. Bill, hey, it's Sean. Let me catch my breath. Just came in the house. Three doors down. For sale by owner sign just went up. What should I do? Should I tell them about you? They're literally looking for business for you. How many of you guys are thinking of people in your bullseye right now? How many of you have bullseye members that have never been your client, but they have referred you business? I'm going to tell you how many people should be in your bullseye. 20. Write down the number 20 and circle it. I want you to start thinking about who are my 20 bullseye people. Why 20? Because if I take out a month calendar and I cut off Saturdays and Sundays, how many business days do I have left? 20. About 20. And so if I put Jimmy's name and Renette's name and Yossi's name and Susan's name and Natalie's name, on the day that Natalie's name shows up on my calendar, I need to do what? I need to talk to Natalie. But because she's in my bullseye, I don't need to talk to her about, hey, Natalie, do you want to buy or sell a house or know someone who does? I don't ever have to talk about real estate with her if I don't want to because she knows I'm in real estate and I know she's a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, whatever she might do. So the, the call might say, it's Josh's day. Josh, hey, it's Carp, what's going on? Hey, did you watch the game last night? You didn't see the game? There was a triple play in the 30. It was the most amazing triple play I've ever seen. I'm going to send you the link on YouTube. Let's get beer sometime soon, all right? That's all it is. Because every 20 days, I just need to make sure that I show up where? Top of mind of Josh's head. Top of mind of Josh's head. The bullseye. Because if you think about it, guys, where do you score the most points when you're throwing darts or shooting archery? The bullseye. And so we should be spending our time, our effort, and our money in the center, not taking the approach of, if I want a group to be successful in real estate, I'll just build a bigger target. Oh, so you're going to spend your time, effort, money out here on total strangers? Or what if you started every day in the center and worked your way out, and you're so busy today, you only get this far into your target? Who'd you talk to? The best people. So the outer ring gets your annual newsletter. The next ring in gets that plus your monthly calendars or newsletter. Then more and more and more and more. Spend your time, effort, and money on the bullseye people. 
And that's one of the best ways you're going to obviously then be able to leverage and have that turn around so they help you. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Don't build a bigger target. These people are strangers out here. So as you start getting into the inner circles, these people maybe get invited to your quarterly happy hour. These people get personal calls on birthdays and anniversaries, kids' birthdays, pets' birthdays, and so on and so on and so on. So the people in the center are the best people. Start thinking right now. It's easy to come up with the first five or eight or 10 of your bullseyes. But to truly come up with 20, and if you're lucky enough to have more than 20, then have 22, have 23, and that means it's just on a certain Monday and Tuesday of the beginning of the month, Cole might have to talk to two people who are his biggest fans. We're trying to build that raving fan business. But this is so critical in our business, isn't it? Focus on activity, not results. We're building relationships to build relationships, not in the hopes of if I build this relationship, I will get business from it. We build relationships because that's what we do. That's who we are. And the relationships focus on the activity, not the results. Keep doing the activity. It's about personal contact and influence. When I made the decision to jump out of corporate America, working as a director of training with our company, and leave paycheck and salary and benefits to go back into sales and open up my speaking business, I had to do what I taught agents to do every year. I had to put seeds in the ground. I had to build relationships. So one of the things I did is how can I, I asked myself, how can I do that? Well, I started, and Bill, you know I do this because I do it religiously, and I see Kim in the back, and she knows this. I created what I call the 4-H club, something that I, would make me do the activity every day that eventually would lead to results. It's the seeds in the ground that a farmer uses. Here's the 4-H club, guys. Every day when I go in the office, I'm usually the first agent in my office. By 7.15, 7.30 at the latest. The first thing I do is I do five handwritten notes. Now, I start with thank you notes in the top of my head. If I have anyone from yesterday to thank, because those are the easiest notes to write, aren't they? Handwritten notes. Thank you notes. But if I don't have anyone to thank, then I'll send five handwritten notes. Kim, Bill, I know you guys have received cards. And I'm actually a proud recipient of four of Sean's handwritten notes yes. over the last four years. Yep. A little trick. I shared this with the bar camp, the uh, RE bar camp on, on Tuesday. How many of you guys have ever had a client have a new baby? All right. Bill, can I share this? Oh, absolutely. So what I'm starting to do now is when my clients have a new baby, and I see it on Facebook, or I know that the baby's been born, and just had it happen, the baby's name was Logan, I send a handwritten note to the baby, Logan Smith. When they open it up, the card says, Dear Logan, this is your first official junk mail from a realtor. <laughs> when it's time for a new crib, have your parents call me. They have my number. Super simple, right? But it's the impact. I can't tell you how cool it makes me feel when people now get my card, whether it's a, you know, I, I obviously send out to potential prospects, to speaking clients, but also to people that are in my, in my sphere, in my life, real estate people around the country. And they will go on, they'll take a picture of my card and say, it's so cool that Sean does what he says he does. And they'll, take, they'll put a picture of my card that they received in the mail. When you guys get back from this convention, true or false, when you go to the mailbox and you check your mailbox, the handwritten notes get open first and read a second time. The second H is the hot sheet. Everyone in this room probably has access to a hot sheet, right? That's the latest listings in your marketplace, the price changes, the in contracts and the solds. So I run the hot sheet for my local town, not all of Columbus, the neighborhood I live in, and I see what properties hit the market. It's a way for me to obviously educate myself on the market again. But then if I see a property that's within one or two blocks of somebody that I know, I will email them that listing, I'll call them, or I'll text them. I'll then do happy birthdays. I'll jump onto Facebook, I'll see which of my friends have birthdays that day. What do you think most of your friends do when it's their friends' birthdays on Facebook? 
Just tell them happy birthday on Facebook? Wrong. Most people do nothing. Most people do nothing. If you think about it, if you have 3,000 friends on Facebook, on your last birthday, I bet you got about 300 birthday messages. Which means 2,700 people did nothing. You guys are busy at a conference here now. So you might not have been on Facebook the last three or four days. You've had friends that have had birthdays, but you forgot to wish them happy birthday because you didn't go into Facebook looking for that. So I send personalized messages, which stands out from just the happy birthday, because by 2 o'clock in the afternoon as they scroll through, they go, wow, 31 more notifications. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. Oh, whoa. What was that that Sean said? Today's your birthday. Forget about the past. You can't change it. Forget about the future. It's not here yet. Forget about the present. I didn't get you one. I hope you have a great birthday and a year ahead building relationships, solving problems, and having fun. Let's get together soon. Carp. I can't tell you how many times people say, like, thanks, Carp, best message of the day, which means in all that sea of sameness, I stopped the track and went into their brain. For people that are close friends of mine, they get a video message. I'll open up my phone and I will send them a video text message. Kim, hey, it's John Carpenter up in Columbus. Just want to send a quick video to wish you a very happy birthday today. Hope you have an amazing day and a great year ahead. And keep building relationships, solving problems, and having fun. Send. How many of you guys got video messages on your last birthday? Probably not a lot. The last thing I do is I do high fives. I, I don't think there's any better way, Bill, for me to build relationships, solve problems, and have fun than through social media because I can do it further and faster and freer than I can anywhere else. So I'm already on Facebook, so I scroll through my feed and I do five likes on Facebook. I do five comments on Facebook. I jump over to Twitter and I try and do five retweets or comments. I jump on Instagram quickly and I do five comments, not five likes, five comments. I want you to think about your Instagram usage right now. When you log into Instagram, you might have 165 likes on a picture and three comments. What means more to you, Cole? The comments. Five comments and then I send five random text messages. And once I've done my 4-H club for the day, Bill, I walk across the parking lot to my Starbucks and I get my morning coffee. That is my reward for putting seeds in the ground. Now, I want you to think about this, guys, in this room. If I send five handwritten notes, let's say there was three people I had to talk to about a listing, 12 birthdays and 25 touches, that's 45 touches before 9 o'clock in the morning. How many of them were real estate related? Only three. Only the three specific about a property in someone's neighborhood. The rest were just touches from someone they know who's a dad, a golfer, a beer drinker, a realtor. How many of you guys think if you did the activity of the 4-H club on a daily basis, you'd have some success down the road? It's about just putting seeds in the ground. Focus on the activity, not the results. Look at the pictures on the screen, Bill. Green Bay up in Lambeau, right? Yeah. The Black Hole, the Raider Nation, right? Buckeye Nation, Gator Nation, right? All the places you might see. The fan bases. What we're trying to get, guys, is a cult-like following of our friends and family, our sphere of influence, our clients, and our bullseye. A cult-like following is when what? When people know you, when they like you, and when they what? Trust you. But let me just remind you, Bill, the knowing and liking part is super simple, isn't it? Yeah. How many of you people have friends that you know and like? <laughs> the trusting part's really difficult, isn't it? I bet you in this room have friends that you know and you like, but you wouldn't trust when it comes to financial advice. Is that fair to say? How about parents in the room? Do you have any friends of yours that you know them and like them, but you would never trust their parenting advice? Their kids ride in the back of a pickup truck without a seatbelt and eat sugar all day, right? And you're like, I would never let my kids. Single people, you probably have friends of yours that you know and you like, but you never would trust when it comes to dating advice. 
So is it possible that we have people in our lives that know us and like us, but they wouldn't trust us when it comes to selling a house in that part of town, in that building downtown, in that part of the neighborhood, because they've never seen us do it? So how can we earn that trust? There's three C's that lead people to trust you. Everyone in this room, whether you're multi-year experienced or brand new, can focus on these three C's. The first C is competence. Competence, and that's a function of ability. How good are you at what you do? The second C is confidence, and that's a function of attitude. Now, those two alone earn trust. True or false, you can feel people's confidence. You can hear people's confidence. You can see people's confidence. And when they match it up with competence, they know who they are, what they do, how things work, how the contract works, how the lockboxes work, how their town works. When you're confident and competent, people trust you. And the third C, I think is the most important one, Bill. A lot of people have told me that's not important at all. That's consistency. And that's a function of action. How consistent are you at being competent and confident? How consistent are you at delivering the services your buyers and sellers hire you to do? How consistent are you at knowing the market? How consistent are you at your negotiating skills? How consistent are you at follow-up? People start to trust those people when they have those areas of their business lined up. It's about competence, confidence, and consistency so that you can earn the trust to pair up with people who know you and like you to earn a cult-like following, a tribe of people who would only think of you when it comes to real estate. That's what we're trying to do. When they think real estate, they think, insert your name. When they think your name, they think, insert your brand. And that's how you know you start winning. Seth Godin, one of my favorite marketers, Bill, says this, when you over-deliver, you earn trust. Trust that can bring you repeat business, access to new opportunities, and the privilege of being able to count on your customers coming back. Doesn't everyone in this room want that? So we're not getting new business, we're getting business that we already had that's just coming back to us. So Bill, that's what I believe about relationships. So Sean, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions because I've, I hang out with Sean. We've, we've hung out this week while we're here in Orlando. And this, you have to go somewhere with Sean one time just to experience this process. But as he walks into every place we go, he instantly addresses the person by name every single time without fail. And here's a test. So you just, I'm gonna do this, here's a test. We might have stopped at McDonald's, I'm sorry, I said McDonald's tater. We stopped at McDonald's. What was the name of the lady that served us? Pat. That's right, Pat. And I remember this, I was remembering this as I did it. Um, when you sweet talked the lady at the registration desk to get that awesome suite you have on the fourth floor, what was her name? Bianca. And when we walked over to Dunkin' Donuts uh, yesterday morning, who was the guy that helped us with our order? Uh, I believe his name was Marvin or Melvin? Marvin. 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 So uh, that, this is who this guy is. So he's not just up here telling you something and not living by it. This man absolutely lives by what he's telling you. So Bill, we're going to talk about that in my session later today, but let me uh, tell you something. I, I, listen, using people's names is the most important thing to me. It's the one thing in this world that you truly own is your name. Bill, I guarantee you, if you were walking through Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport, the largest airport, busiest airport in the world, and someone says, hey, Bill, you're just going to pause for a second. You're, you're walking to your gate, and you're like, I'm sure they're not talking to me, but you would stop and turn around. Yeah. I never, ever, ever order my Starbucks in the morning without using the barista's name first. And I can't tell you how many times when I say, Michelle, I'll have a venti iced coffee, please, with cream and sugar. I can't tell you how many times the barista goes, 
how did you know my name? <laughs> uh, it's on your apron. And they look down, they say, oh, I forgot. Which means what? Nobody else is using their name. My daughter's a, a junior at the University of South Carolina. I had one of my proudest moments as a father last year when she sent me a text in the morning. And it said, OMG, I finally made it. And I said, to where? And she goes, celebrity status. So I said, what are you talking about? She says, walked into Starbucks this morning, and the barista knew my name. <laughs> and I replied back saying, that's awesome, Riley. More importantly, what was her name? Within seconds, Mackenzie. I said, you knowing her name might have made her day, the way her knowing your name made your day. Use people's names and don't. So I'm watching the clock yep. for us, right? Yep. So um, we're only, obviously the relationship building part is what we're here for, it's important. But let's talk about number two of your yeah. troika, and that's yeah. gonna be solving problems. Solving problems, right? That's what we do, that's what we get paid to do. Our clients hire us to help them make good decisions. We don't buy and sell houses, unless you're the one writing the check and signing the CD. You're the one that's guiding the person to that. We are the guide in the journey. And so when we think about solving problems, we better control our schedule, right? True or false in this business, either you control your schedule or somebody else does. Yeah, so we have to be able to solve our own problems before we can worry about solving other people's problems. Where do we fit in our business development activities and our business support activities? This is something I've said very early in my career, especially to all my new agents that I would train, live your life and let real estate happen in the trash. I see way too many people in this industry try and live real estate and fit their life in the cracks instead of being active in their kids' schools, in their churches, in their charities, in their communities. Because guess what? If you're active in your kids' schools, in your churches, in your charities, guess where business comes from? From your kids' schools, in your churches, in your charities, in your communities. So understanding your schedule. Please write this down. Hashtag on purpose. If you don't want to talk in hashtag language, just write down on purpose. See, when we in this industry start saying to ourselves, I'm going to be successful on purpose, not by accident, we have a better chance of being successful. So when you control your schedule and you put things in on purpose, like maybe open houses on Sundays, afternoons, what if you left this convention and you started saying to yourselves, I work with buyers on Monday and Tuesday nights, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday mornings. Because the next time I talk to Manny at the grocery store and he says, I'm thinking about buying a house, I say, man, I'm available on Monday or Tuesday night. Does either of those nights work for you? Nope. How about Thursday afternoons? Because I'm on purpose trying to slot people into my buyer slots. And they work with sellers on Tuesdays and Wednesday afternoons, Thursday evenings and Friday mornings. And I want to meet a seller. I know that I do listing appointments on Tuesdays and Wednesday afternoons. I do it on purpose. The same way our dentist solves problems. When you call your dentist and say, I'd like to get a root canal, they say we do those on Fridays. The next Friday we have available is three weeks from this Friday. Would you like a morning or afternoon? They do things on purpose. We need to solve our own problems before we can do that. This is a big one for me. We need to diagnose our clients' problems before we try and solve their problems. We need to have meetings up front. The best salespeople are the best question askers. So part of the way we solve problems, Bill, is by asking lots of questions. And when we think about this, whether it's in a buyer counseling session, asking questions about where they are and where they want to be, asking questions about their demographics and their background and their obviously their financial situation and what they want. Question, 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 question. Once we have that list of their answers, then we can say, let me find you what you just described out here in this market of MLS listings. With sellers, we should be having a two-step solving of problems. The first one I call the call, that first voice-to-voice -voice talk with a seller. 
Mr. Mr. Seller, I want to be as thorough as possible, so I've got a few questions to ask before we meet, okay? Where are you moving to? How soon do you need to be there? Why are you moving? How much are you thinking of asking for your home realistically? Have you ever sold a house before? Was it a good or bad experience? What do you like about what the agent did? And I have a list of questions so I can help solve their problem by diagnosing what their problem is. The main things we need to find out with buyers and sellers is how soon do you want to be there? How long have you been thinking about it? And if you sold your home today or if you found a house today, would you buy it? How soon, urgency. How long, motivation. And then the if. And then with sellers, when we have that initial consultation on the phone, that pre-qualifying call, the second meeting is what I call the chat. It's that first face-to-face -face with the seller. And it's all built around questions. Is there a comfortable place we can sit and chat before we tour your house? Don't tour the house first. When you tour the house as soon as you walk into the house, who's in control? They are. And what's their first question when you're done with the tour? What do you think we can get, Cole? Cole wasn't ready to talk about price at all on this appointment because he hadn't seen their house yet. So when someone says, hey, Sean, how much is my house worth? I don't know, Josh, I haven't seen your house. When would be a good time for you to come by and see it? Sean, how much do you charge? I don't know, Josh, I haven't seen your house. What does seeing my house have to do with what you charge? Because I don't know what you'd be asking me to do. We diagnose people's problems on a call and on the chat so that we can then determine, number one, is this a viable client that I want to work with? We need to have a bilateral agreement that you are hiring me as your agent and I'm accepting you as my client. How many of you guys wish you wouldn't have accepted some clients in the past? Yeah, but when you're new, you think you have to work with everybody. And gosh, they'll all get them to like me, right? How about follow-up? Follow-up. We solve our own problems by having follow-up in place. We solve our own problems by following up with the co-op agent, with the title company with the lender, with the scheduler, with the appraiser, with the home inspector, with all these things. Bill, I'm going to guess in your line of work, you love when the agents have a communication process with you before the closing, true or false? More than you can ever imagine, Sean. Yeah. 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 So, so follow-up for me is obviously, it's the part of the farmer's job, once they put the seeds in the ground, they have to follow up. They have to fertilize, they have to water, they have to weed. They have to prune, and they still don't have a crop. They have to follow up and water and fertilize and weed and prune, and they still don't have a crop. They have to water and fertilize and weed and prune, and finally, finally they have a crop. And that's, so Bill, it's, yeah. solving problems is just about the processes. Let's move on to number three then. Let's talk about having fun. This is uh, what I'm here for. So. Yeah, look, yeah. having fun is obviously, uh, if you truly know me, uh, I put have fun first, but it, this tagline sounds better when you say build relationships, solve problems, and have fun. Um, but having fun, look, look, I mean, clients top left, uh, th that was a fun transaction because those were University of Florida graduates buying a house in Columbus, Ohio. I'm a Florida graduate, got to work with some Gators. That was, that was really cool. Uh, bottom left, Inman Connect, uh, the industry, working with people. How many of you guys have made some friends through this industry in your company and outside of your company? That's having fun to me. Top right, my fraternity brothers that travel, we go to a away football game every year. That was at the junction at Mississippi State game last year. Uh, and then obviously bottom right, my daughter, my son, uh, my family, my wife, uh, you know, family for me is having fun. Bill, we talked about social media. Obviously for me, it's a tremendous way for me to have fun, to reach out to people, to comment, to make them feel good, to, to help, to find ways I can help solve problems. 
top right, this is our Realtor Care Day in Columbus, getting active and engaged in my local, my state, my national level at things allows me to have fun. Um, and obviously there's the picture at the bottom was Bill and Jeff Chalmers, our buddy in the middle from Boston. And, and that was a panel we did at the Arizona Association of Realtors Conference called A Realtor, A Lender, and A Title Guy Walked Into a Bar. And we actually got to drink beers on stage at the Arizona Association of Realtors Conference and talk about the relationships that we create from those three different areas, which kind of tie us together. And then obviously just look at this though. I mean, it, we, we could spend the rest of the time talking about this. And I just pulled just some photos off my phone. But what I do to have fun, top left is uh, at Ari Bar Camp in Nashville. Top center, top right. This is a great one. Tell me, tell, me, tell me about that top right picture. Top right. So I'm, I'm speaking in Oregon. I've never been to Oregon before, so I flew in a day early to visit Portland. It's a rainy day like you'd expect in Portland. I walked around the town to find a couple little craft breweries. And I'm standing at the end of the bar there in my raincoat, and I'm talking to the gentleman on the left. And he's got his Portland Trailblazers shirt on. And I'm a huge sports fan, so we start having a little conversation about basketball. And he's dropping a lot of knowledge back at me and his girlfriend, Shana, uh, in the middle. And, um, and I start talking to him and I say, you should, you're really good at your knowledge on basketball. You should come on my podcast. He goes, you have a podcast? I said, yeah, it's called The Stare Down, Sports Talk and Real Estate. We get together every Sunday and talk about the week that was and the week that's coming in sports. You should come on and be our NBA correspondent. And Bill, he's been on now for a year and a half, maybe yeah. almost two. Yeah. Uh, and Shay joins us when he can out of Portland. Uh, gives us a whole new perspective. Uh, got a little slap on the wrist because he was dropping some uh, some injury information about some NBA players. And the, the league kind of said, hey, you can't be talking about that stuff on air. But, um, you know, and, and just all around, conferences. Uh, this is a great one in the bottom center picture. Um, that became a blog. That became a blog-worthy post, Bill. Um, I'm driving from an event from Virginia down to North Carolina, and I needed a haircut. I had a day of travel. And so I said to myself, Sean, the next town you roll through, if there's a barbershop, you're getting a haircut. And I rode through a little town called Zebulon, North Carolina, which is literally a little town in North Carolina. I got off the freeway and I said, this is the perfect town. If I see a barber pole, I'm stopping. Of course, I saw a barber pole coming up two blocks away on the other side of the train tracks. So I said, I've made the commitment. I'm stopping to get a haircut. As I parked and walked in to an all black barbershop, I said, hey, do you guys take walk-ins? He said, we sure do. And I had the best haircut of my life that day. I sat and talked to those guys for two or three hours. That's Steve, that's the barber. I wrote a blog about it. I love finding people, Bill, around the country. I, I'm, my personal story in that board, because I know most of these, is I want you to talk about Marciano. Okay, <laughs> top center. Top center, we're at Inman Connect, San Francisco. They, we're at the Hilton Hotel. We're in a room much like this, but, but picture 10 times bigger. And I was an ambassador, I'm sitting in the front row where Crystal's sitting, and I'm, we're, as an ambassador, our job is to tweet and Facebook and Instagram and blog about what we're seeing at the conference so that the readers and our social medias can follow. So we had arranged to meet for lunch, and the speaker, the, the host of the day, came out and said, folks, that was a great morning. We're going to be back in an hour and a half for the afternoon session, so you have an hour and a half to go out into San Francisco and grab lunch. Go. Now, much like yesterday when the session ended, people all try and run because there's only so many places to grab food without a huge line. So I'd arranged with Bill and a couple other buddies that we were going to meet at the Pinecrest Diner across the street and around the corner. But I, I was shutting down my laptop. I was sitting about where Cole's sitting right here. And I was shutting down my laptop. And by the time I turned to walk out of this room, the last four or five people were walking out the door a long way away. There was literally a sea of chairs. And the chairs were everywhere. They were kicked over. There was trash on the floor. There was Starbucks cups. There was newspapers. There was banana peels from the morning breakfast. It was an absolute mess. And Bill, as I walked through with my laptop, 
to go out the door to meet you for lunch. I saw Marciano, top center. He was off to the side, and he was resetting the chairs one by one, lining them up with the lines in the carpet. And I stopped and watched Marciano set those chairs. And I said, well, there's got to be a 1,000 chairs in this room. There's no way he's going to go chair by chair. And he did that row, and that row, and that row, and that row. And I was just amazed that he was going to touch every single chair in that banquet hall. And so I took a picture. And instead of going to meet Bill for lunch, I walked back to the front row, opened up my laptop, and I wrote a blog post called, Are You the Chairman of Your Business? Are you the person who does things in your business because it's the right thing to do? Are you the person who does things in your business when nobody's watching because it's going to make someone look better? And I shared that with the leadership. I got a letter back from the, from the um, HR director the next day after I shared my blog with them. They talked about why do people do it? Because maybe one person notices, someone like you. And John Bernier, the director of human resources, went on to tell me, Bill, he said, in that letter, he said, one of the most remarkable things about Marciano and the resetting of those chairs that day is he's been doing this task for over 25 years. It said, may we all have our passion and commitment for our job as Marciano does. And every year I go back to San Francisco, guess as soon as I check in, who I walk up and down the hallways looking for? Marciano. So that's, that's have fun. It's a relationship. It's a, it's a story. Yeah. Sean, we're at this part of my podcast where every week, what do I say? Something like... Yeah. <laughs> when you, you say, what is a piece of advice you would give to a new agent just starting in the business? What is one piece of advice you would give a new agent just getting started in the business? Yep. And so what I want to do here, I have this opportunity in this live episode to show you some of my favorite answers. So the same question to all 200 people, what one piece of advice would you give to a new agent just getting started? Right. So every episode ends with this. Here's one of my absolute favorites. Jeff Seabach of the Seabach team in Scottsdale said, make sure you see 200 houses in your first month. I was like, wow, why? He goes, because you have all the time in the world. You're doing nothing in the first month, for starters. And two, you get to see what people value. You get to see what inventory is. You get to have that experience of going through homes. And I thought it was brilliant. I've told this to a lot of people who are now telling their new agents, go do this. It's like seven houses a day. It's not the end of the world. It can be done, right? So I love this answer. Um, one of my favorites, one of the speakers here at the conference is Matt Beal, Hawaii Life Realty. And his was, he said, as he, before he said learn to meditate, he said, I don't know if I should share this. It sounds kind of woo-woo and kind of weird, but it really is learn to meditate. And I go, Matt, that's awesome. Why? And he said, the reason is because there's times when you've got to be very focused as a realtor. You have to be focused when you're negotiating or focused when you're, when you're working on certain projects the way Sean does. Uh, and he said, if you could just learn to meditate and clear, clear your head and just have that calm space, it would be better. Is anyone who does meditate, by the way? I know Sean does. A few people, yeah. Uh, Headspace is your app? I use Headspace. Yeah, so it's become very simple. Uh, at least there's people out there that are willing to help us get better at that. On the funny side, this is Phil Sexton. He's part of that Seabock team, and that's his episode 58. And don't wish it were easier, wish it were better. Now, that's not his quote. I'm not sure who that is. It's probably someone like Norman Vincent Peale or somebody like that. But I love his response was, well, it's not really my quote. It, it was on the marquee of the Jiffy Lube at Cactus in the 101. I pass it every day, and I just love this. And so I said, okay, good. That's going to be your quote. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's powerful. It, it's, it, I think it gives uh, people a, a, a nugget to take away. And it's really cool to hear the answers. And I would say for the first 100 episodes, nobody repeated themselves. I kept waiting for get a mentor, get a mentor, get a mentor. It's become popular now after 200, but this is really a fun part of the show. So 
my final one that I've of my favorites. This is uh, Shelley Zabitz. She's a realtor in Portland, about four years now. She wrote a book called Your First 365 Days as a Realtor. It's a fantastic book. If you're a broker in here and you've got a new agent, I would highly recommend buying this for them because it just walks them through what to expect. My favorite part of the book is the opening when she got licensed and she, she picked the brokerage and her very first day at the brokerage, she was so excited because she got on her best clothes and got her, all of her stuff in her bag, she's ready to go. And she was expecting literally a line of realtors welcoming her to the office, like high-fiving her as she walked in the office. What happened? You know what happened. The front desk person said, there's a cubicle in the back, just pick one. You know, and nobody was there. She was the only one in the office. But she's very funny and tells a great story. And I love think, act, and be a business. I think sometimes we lose sight of, you are like entrepreneurs and startups, right? You, you have a business and you have to run it that way. Then there's this guy, episode five. And now I'm gonna put, you know, Sean a little bit on the hot seat. And I did, we, you know, we set this up, but I can't let you use that answer for this episode. So, Sean, what's your answer now? I think if I was gonna give an answer now, because build relationships, solve problems, have fun, it's giving. I think it's this, Bill. New agents need to make more mistakes. New agents need to make more mistakes. We are so afraid in our industry of making a mistake because our pre-licensing classes tell us we're gonna be sued for everything we're gonna do, right? We have to, you know, but here's the thing. If you don't make any mistakes, you're not doing anything because I think we can learn from our mistakes. Obviously, you're not gonna make a super legal or a life-threatening mistake, but you need to say the wrong things. You need to be in the wrong places at the wrong times in this business to learn where you should be. I, I, I truly say this in, 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 in truth. Doctors, I think, have it easier than we do starting out because they get to practice on dead people. If they mess up, the person's already dead. We have to practice on real life people at open houses and on the phone calls that we want to be our clients. And sometimes we just don't say the right things, Bill. So it'd be make, yeah. more, make more mistakes. And how about you? What would you say? So you talk about it a lot today, and it's probably osmosis that seeped into me, but in my role with the company, when I talk to realtors, uh, this is just critical. You have to make sure you connect so tightly to your tribe that whenever they have a question, anything at all about real estate, they reach out to you. When they see a billboard for Open Door or OfferPad, they don't go to Open Door or OfferPad. They call you because you're their real estate expert, right? That's what you need. And if you don't have that, then by all means, listen to this podcast 10 times and do what this man told you to do. Right? It's so critical that we connect. We have to be connected to people. It's, just, it's everything for us. Yep. And speaking of staying connected, this is how you can connect with Sean or I. This is the, the Real Estate Sessions podcast is wherever you find podcasts, anywhere, any podcatcher out there. Um, Sean's blog, carpscorner.net, is uh, spectacular. How many posts on that blog? Uh, 916. 900, every Monday he publishes a motivational moment. Uh, some sharing some piece of advice that will help you in your business. You know, uh, so I highly recommend you subscribe to that blog post. And for Sean and I, we can be found everywhere on social. He's Sean Carp. I'm Bill Risser, all together. So that's where you can find us. Thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate it.